0: Welcome everyone to Discipleship Podcasts with the Bend International Church of Christ. I'm Joey Hungerford and I just want to introduce you to Season 8 of our podcast, which is the year 2023. And we're exploring a lot of real-life theology this year. The Holy Spirit, uh, Faithful Faith, the Grand Meta-Narrative of the Bible, Disciple-Making and so much more. So I'm excited that you're here. I hope that you stay tuned. Please give us a review and share it with your friends. God bless. Amen. Amen. Well, openness and discernment is exactly what we're talking about today. <laughs> getting into the Holy Spirit for the month of January is our topic. And today just talking about what is a spirit and helping to give us a sense of the spiritual And our theme for the year, we've talked about this with a lot of people in the church. And last year we had the theme of rooted out of Ephesians 3 uh, 16, towards the end of the chapter of Ephesians 3. It says to be rooted in Christ's love. But it also says that we're strengthened in our inner being through the Holy Spirit. And so to transition towards the Holy Spirit and into 2023. A lot of us have been encouraged by this verse in Acts chapter 9 verse 31. In NIV it says that they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And the the message version actually says the church had smooth sailing for a while. Just sounds real nice doesn't it? Smooth sailing for a while. After the COVID years, some rough starts, some setbacks, smooth sailing for a while is something to look forward to. Encouragement from the Holy Spirit. That sounds really nice. Other versions, strengthening in the Holy Spirit. Um, it, it also says they were in fear of the Lord. There, it says that they, were all, they experienced a time of peace. So, so many things go into that. It's, the idea is that there's some things we can control. You know, we can raise the sails of being united with one another We could raise the sails of being at peace with each other. Uh, We could raise the sail of having a a fear of the Lord, practices like that, a prayer and fasting perhaps, but if there's no wind or no no Holy Spirit to power a movement of God, we're not going anywhere. There's so much that God is in control of. That's why we need the Holy Spirit this year, wind in the sails. There's no movement without the Holy Spirit of God. And we need to rely on him for what he is in control of. Move forward past announcements here. Full verses right there, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And so we've put out a digitally a lot of sermon topics we want to cover under that theme. And hopefully you all have been able to give some feedback on that. And if not, then let us know. Maybe six months through the year we'll find ourselves needing other different sermon topics we'll see what happens. And we're going through those topics month by month, starting with the Spirit in the month of January. At the end of the day, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We want to be a congregation that's Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered, reliant on the Holy Spirit, and that all needs to come with a rich prayer life. Because if we're going to be under the kingdom reign of Jesus and follow Him in discipleship, and if we're going to Love one another. When we get on each other's nerves, we're going to need the Holy Spirit. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. I get to be really close to people today, so we we moved the chairs really close today for some reason. We're just going to make it work. So today I, I might even nerd out in a section or two or get a little historical talking about times in history when the Spirit's been restrained and times when it's been restored. And I think we might have some restoring to do in our congregation and in our lives today. I know I personally do. I got a lot of scriptures and a lot of slides today, but that's okay because the scriptures are always right. Joey Hungerford isn't. Sometimes I'm wrong. So fact check the scriptures, even on the screen. What is a spirit? Restraining it, restoring it. I think I've shared this quote before, but A.W. Tilzer says this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. I think that's true for the most part. The Holy Spirit's mentioned like 60 times in the book of Acts in the first century church. You, you can't get within a chapter in the book of Acts without the Holy Spirit coming up like three times. And he had specific purposes and reasons for acting so powerfully in that chapter of history. Tozer also says this, goes on, We may as well face it, the whole level of spirituality among us is low. We've measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus and things of the spiritual is all but gone. We've imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't agree with Tozer in everything, but I've been guilty of everything he just said at different points in my personal life, relying on my own power, uh, my own systems, whatever it is, rather than the Holy Spirit. And the reality is, we we went over apps four a few Sundays ago. The early church knew... I think for some of them, they knew a lot less intellectually about the Holy Spirit than we do. They didn't put together all these giant theologies about the Holy Spirit. They probably never heard a lesson like the one I'm going to give today and go over a history of the Holy Spirit. But it also says there in Acts 4 where it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, that they were unschooled, ordinary men who knew the Holy Spirit, were intimate with him, and walked with him. I want to experience more of that today. Does he account for 95% of what you do? When is the last time you undeniably experienced the Holy Spirit in you and around you? Do you have eyes to see that? And why is it important? It's very important. I think I've already been mentioning a few of the reasons, but a few more. In Romans 8, it says, we're not in the realm of the flesh, we're in the realm of the Spirit. And it says that those who are of the Spirit, they are called children of God. And it even says that those who are not of the Spirit, that they're they're not saved. Salvation depends on the Holy Spirit. That's imperative, non-negotiable, undeniable, fundamental to our faith. So the Holy Spirit is a big deal. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And a person bearing fruit of the spirit is how we can know if a person is right with God or not right with God. So what is the spirit? Here's a technical answer I would give that the spirit is a personal being but sometimes operates even within our physical world though he transcends it. It says in John 4.24 that God is spirit and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. Who's ever heard that passage? And even I hear that passage and it still confuses me sometimes today, and I'll just yeah. be humble and say I, I only understand it. I'm on the rough edge of even learning about the Holy Spirit. He's pretty mysterious. It's it's not hard to get the spirit right for the most part, but it's really easy to get him wrong at the same time. So John four twenty-four, it says God is spirit. It also says that we have to worship him in spirit. There's a part of us that's spiritual in some sense, and we need to have Eyes for that. You could think of it this way um, The spirit is in the sense that I say, um, I have two legs. In that I have a body, two legs, but there's a part of me that possesses that. There, the body has a brain, but the spirit has a mind. The realest part of you might be an explanation of how we explain our spirit. And we're just gonna get into the word spirit and what that means across scripture. The realest part of you, the essence of one's mind. Now, sometimes you see the word spirit capitalized in the Bible. That's where someone makes, even the translators, they, they, they make an assumption and say, I think this refers to the Holy Spirit. For the most part, they're right, but not always. Sometimes they're wrong. Probably half the time, spirit just refers to our spirit in the Bible. So that gives us a pretty good understanding. As we're reading through the Bible, sometimes even that can confuse us, right? I know it confuses me. A quick survey Man, God is spirit, angels are spirits, demons are spirits, the Holy Spirit is a spirit, and we have spirits. (laughs) Um, The body without the spirit is dead. Jesus gave up his spirit when he passed on. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit when he was stoned and became a martyr. Again, a lot of scriptures today, but the scriptures are the primary way that we learn about the spirit and through which the spirit works. C.S. Lewis said it this way when it comes to the spiritual. Yeah, I'll have to go back to that, but... C.S. Lewis said, hey, it's, it's not that we are bodies and we have a spirit, it's that we have a soul, or we are a soul, and we have a body. And he expanded it off of a quote from this other gentleman, Pierre, long French name. I only took two years of French in college. But it's the idea that we should have a greater sense of the spiritual. when sometimes we get so focused on the physical. Again, back in scripture, We can know with our spirit, be anguished in our spirit, be refreshed in our spirit, worship with our spirit. A person's life lives on in the spirit after the body is dead. So we're not going to do a Hebrew word study today. But you can go home and Google and do a Hebrew word study. And Veronica give me that look. The Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of holiness, is the Holy Spirit. That's the Hebrew term, the Pneuma in the Greek and you pronounce the p. I'm not going to give you the spelling though. <laughs> and sometimes the spelling on these words even changes. But first sentence of the Bible. It says, "The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters." And look, that's capitalized. <laughs> but it could just mean wind, that word, the ruach. And where where we see a spirit of God, spirit of Jesus, some um, The comforter, the the paraclete in Greek, there's so many different words for the spirit. A lot of times, yeah, it's all referring to the Holy Spirit, spirit of God, spirit of Jesus. But ruach is where we get this idea of, again, it could just mean wind in some cases. It also means breath, breath of God. It can get into meaning that. I also bring up Genesis 2-7 here. It starts to get complicated just a, a few verses later or a chapter later. Just there's multiple words that are almost the same. Neshama, nefesh. And this is really an incredible scripture to give us a sense of the spiritual once again. Mm-hmm. This is where God really gives us his spirit, breathes us into life. Mm-hmm. Says, hey, I, I'm going to breathe them to life and you're going to become a living creature and not just a physical creature, but a spiritual creature. Mm-hmm. There's an incredible amount of dignity to that. I gotta say that Not only are we made in the image of God, but God breathed his spirit into us. Mm -hmm. But in some sense, it's not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we get at baptism, but in some sense, we have this breath of God within us. Uh, There's some holiness in that. There's some human dignity attached to that that comes from God, that we should look at other races, male and female, and go, man, they are God breathed. And as powerful as the Holy Spirit is, as powerful as God is to make the universe there in Genesis, he's breathed into us. Mm-hmm. Each person has that sense about them. Mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine what the world would be like if we all got that right. Mm-hmm. Said, oh yeah, this person is breathed into existence mm-hmm. by God. Yeah. They're a spiritual being, not just a physical object over there. Yeah. Huh. We got to remember that. Yeah. Make sure we get these words right. I'm not a Hebrew scholar either. <laughs> but the Ruach, breath, life, soul, power of God. Some modern people go back and they say, oh, that's kind of, that's kind of more referring to energy. The neshama, mind, soul, the spark of God, spark of life, others say. A nefesh, um, life, our being, our soul. They come up together a lot in scripture, right next to each other, especially the Ruach and the neshama. Just gonna give you three verses Examples. There in Job 33, 4, Job 34, 14 through 15, and then one more out of Job. Back there in Genesis 2, 7, he breathes, breathes us life, gives us a life force. I just gotta say too, and this is what Job gets into here, that even if you took all of the chemicals and all of the molecular structure of say, Roy's body, and you put them all together in a lab, it wouldn't be alive, (laughs) because God hasn't breathed into it. Or if you ever dissected a frog in high school, you have every part of the frog there, but it's not alive, right? Yeah. Because the spirit is the why, the life force, and the energy behind the chemical makeup. And we're not just a bag of chemicals. We got the breath of God within us. Job says it this way. The spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty, the Neshama, gives me life. If it were his intention and he withdrew his spirit, the Ruach and breath, Neshama, all humanity would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. Like Thanos snapping his fingers and there go the <laughs> Avengers and they all just turn to dust. And hey, made billions of dollars. So maybe some of us get that reference. <laughs> Spirit gives us life, but there's also something about the spirit holding the whole cosmic order in concert. That's pretty powerful. I have one more from Job 12, 9 through 10. Job says there, who among all these does not know that the hand of God has done this? And whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all humankind? Everything would fall apart without him. I think it's actually an incredible proof for God that we can't bring a frog back to life. That we can't give something life or that as God breathed life into us and gave us a conscious and intellect and self-awareness that, you know, a Terminator doesn't just evolve in the world today, but God gives us those things. It's a proof for God. Psalms 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1:20 says, for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen. And that's a good one for talking about the spirit. Invisible qualities that have been clearly seen. Invisible, the spirit, but clearly seen even here in the physical world. And we gotta have eyes for this. A bunch of smart guys caught on to some of this. Um, I'm not gonna quote all of these, you can read them. But Aristotle Uh, Tesla, Einstein, all said things like, you know, everything, you know, astrophysicists and theologians and even psychologists, a a lot of them are kind of coming towards, you know, everything at some level is energy and we're not aware of it. We're maybe aware of a tenth of a tenth of a tenth of it at any given time and just what's coming out of our cell phones and the energy around us, but... Even astrophysicists, they say that 95% of the universe is dark matter or dark energy, and they have no idea what it is. And a lot of serious scientists take that seriously. I don't know what it is, (laughs) but they believe in that. Big Bang scientists say that at the Big Bang, the 10 different dimensions were created. And physicists take seriously, again, Avengers, right? The idea of a multiverse. This other world where there's an alternative version of... Of Amanda, the right next to her a second ago stood up and said, Hey man, this is the greatest sermon ever, keep it coming. And <laughs> scientists seriously take that idea seriously. So if scientists can believe that, couldn't we believe in the spirit holding all of this together? But there's reasons for why we've normalized a world, explained a world that doesn't necessitate or a hypothesis that doesn't require God in the equation. I'm even going to skip that side, but Michelangelo, same idea, I think. It's horrifying. <laughs> it's beautiful in person. Beautiful, beautiful in person. It, in a world with beautiful things, why is it so hard to believe in the Spirit? Oh. All these great cosmological things. I think it's just Satan doesn't want us to. If, you're, if you don't believe in the spirit, you're not led by the spirit, and you don't know that he might be in fact leading you. If you don't know that there's a God who holds the whole cosmos in order, you might miss that he actually wants to have a personal relationship with you mm-hmm. beyond all of that order, mm-hmm. yeah. that there's a purpose for it all, that he wants to have an intimate experience with your spirit, the, most, the realest part Of you, Amen, church? Amen. You know, I remember it back in 2015, 2016, realizing my own lack of a sense of the spirit because uh, I was majoring in cinema studies at the University of Oregon. I was also really interested in a girl, Madison Hackett, majoring in her in some ways, (laughs) and I wanted to get engaged. Bought an engagement ring, which I had to save up for months and months, get a lot of money together, and it took a lot of my time, energy and thought. and you know, when you have an infatuation or fall in love with someone, you think about it, right When you wake up and throughout the day, and there's just this awareness right and this focus and this realization. And then when I got the engagement ring, for months and months, every time we'd have a conversation, or if she maybe got a little bit frustrated with me over something. In my mind, I'd be like, if she only knew I had this engagement ring, you know. It was so powerful and presence in my mind, but she just couldn't see it. (laughs) And I thought, man, this would just solve all the problems. (laughs) Not really. Um, But, you know, I was afraid sometimes that somebody might steal that engagement ring. And it was just always on my mind, carrying that thing around, burning a hole in my pocket. Uh, Showing it off to people. Look what I got, you know. (laughs) And sometimes I I realized during that time that I I cared or focused probably a lot more on that engagement ring. And was much more aware of it than I was about walking with the Spirit in my life and being Spirit-led. And hey, engagement isn't about getting a ring. It's about what the Holy Spirit really wants for you. And in the same way, sometimes in the church today, I think we can walk around not even realizing that we have this valuable possession, this wedding ring, this deposit of the Holy Spirit, this incredible possession, this down payment, the seal that God gives us. And it's kind of crazy if we walked around not realizing, oh yeah, I'm engaged and I have this wedding ring to prove it. I want us to have that level of awareness with the Spirit. For all of us to realize you carry a valuable possession, not only in your spirit, but when you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Sometimes we do that in the church today. Moses says in Exodus 33, he says, God, if you don't go with us, we're not going to go into the promised land. Mm -hmm. Not going to happen, not going to work can't do it without you. The church of God can't do the work of God, which means the people of God can't do the work of God without the presence of God. Yeah. Everyone with me there? Yeah. Well, good, because uh, five-minute history of the world and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, 1140. Five-minute history of the world and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um. Uh, the Holy Spirit is so active, as we said in the book of Acts there. But then we see 325 AD, they have the Nicene Creed. And uh, even later, in 381 AD, they add on some clauses to it, modifying it, and kind of subjugating the Holy Spirit to it. And by that time, late 300s, the church gets rather political, as many of us know, but it's called Christendom under Christ- Constantine. And Generally, I'm going to generalize all of this, but during that time, what need have you of the Holy Spirit to lead God's church if you have a whole system of men leading the church? If it becomes politicized. And what need do you have for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to unite us as a community of believers and to get along if you're legally required to be a Christian and get along? It kind of takes the need for the Holy Spirit out of it just by the way the system is designed. And so, during that period, 300, 400 years of Christ, you see a lot of the miraculous drops off, a lot of Holy Spirit activity drops off. Another thing that drops off is the Holy Spirit's role in bringing God's kingdom, the Holy Spirit's role in bringing God's new age into the present age, breaking in now to be experienced now, there's not really a need for that if you establish your own kingdom in a political kingdom of the church throughout the world. So that role is kind of taken away. And the fellowship of the spirit isn't as much of a need during that time. And the church, again politicized, becomes a place where rather than equipping you to bring salvation to others, became a place where... Uh, they dispense salvation to you. And even spiritual kind of became just this thing that you're gonna experience after death when you get to heaven and the church is just a holding tank for you. Now that's a generalization. 600s, Augustine is the father of our, a lot of our Western ideology and he adds on to the Holy Spirit and adds on a lot of other theology and reduces him in some ways. And tensions build to 1000 AD when the Greek Orthodox Church splits off mainly having to do with the the hierarchy of the Pope and some other things, but also the effect that that had on the Holy Spirit. And their criticism was in the Western church and side of that split that the Holy Spirit wasn't active in the church or in the the day-to-day life of men. And that, hey, if there's this ecclesial hierarchy, then it takes away from the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is functionally subordinated to that their criticism of it would have been that the church at the time was Father, Son, Holy Church rather than Holy Spirit to generalize. Then you get some awesome people, some radicals and reformers in the 1500s, people like the Anabaptists. And they say, how on earth am I gonna live out the Sermon on the Mount? And they did a pretty good job of doing it. But they said, this is like impossible. I think we need like some supernatural transformation if any of this is gonna be possible. I think we need the Holy Spirit. And they said the Holy Spirit is most realized, not mystically or inwardly, like perhaps the Greek Orthodox Church may have viewed it. They said, it, no, it's most realized when we live it out as kingdom citizens, when we serve one another, when we love our neighbor, so we, when we have this fellowship of the Holy Spirit, when we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, they focused on those things, and they said... Then when a person has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they can be transformed, become like Christ, have an inward and outward holiness. We get a lot of great things from Anabaptists and reformers and radical people. Yeah. That all goes away in the Enlightenment. That's just the age of reason when people said we no longer need a God. And a lot of people go towards either atheism or deism where God is out there, but he doesn't really have a personal relationship with us not much need of holy spirit if you believe those things during the enlightenment but you have the great awakenings in 1700s 1770s around there charles wesley he believed that the methodist movement was a new pentecost that it was a miracle miraculous growth and there was a lot of cool growth one out of three professing christians at the time became a methodist seems like something was going on there they called it a revival A movement of God, a work of the Holy Spirit. A lot of uh, churched people, some unchurched people. First Great Awakening, coming from that. Second Great Awakening, 1800s. uh, There's a lot more unchurched people even coming to God. More and more people than ever before, and they believe similar things. This is a revival. This is a great unity movement, a work of the Holy Spirit in some ways. At the same time... And see how 1900s here, there comes Pentecostal movement, charismatic movements, and some other things. And also at this time in 1800s, 1700s, there's denominationalism and people splitting in all sorts of directions. So people begin polarizing on the Holy Spirit. And hopefully you're just hearing through all of this that the Holy Spirit can be a divisive thing for people. Probably when we don't have the unity of the Spirit, come to think about it. (laughs) We tend to argue about him. But Ephesians 4 says we should have that. Let's go a slide forward. Alexander Campbell said this in, in his time, and he was very smart and probably had very good reason in his time and place for saying this. Probably a very good reason. Um, well, I'll just read it off here. It's impossible to imagine that the divine spirit's influence upon our spirits can consist in anything else but words and arguments, all contained in revealed words, that the Bible already contains all the arguments which can be offered because the Bible is sufficient for salvation um, with the Spirit too, I would add. But therefore, all the power of the Holy Spirit that can operate on the human mind is spent. All the power is spent. And he repeated things like that often where you get a a thought out there on, on one side of that polarizing that the Holy Spirit can only work through the Word of God. So where perhaps a thousand years earlier it was Father, Son, Holy Church in the denominational world in 1700s, 1800s, sometimes it became Father, Son, Holy Bible. And the Holy Bible is a great thing. It says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. I think that the Bible is a primary way through which the Holy Spirit works. Amen, church? But just so you know, there, this is one side of it. Again, he probably have very good reasons, perhaps even to maintain the unity of the spirit for saying things like this, honestly. Um, even as late as 1975, I have it back here. Um, there's the Pentecostal movement in the 1900s and charismatic movement. And there's people doing all sorts of things with the spirit. And there's even people getting bit by snakes and doing things like that with the Holy Spirit. And so you can see why there'd be some Responses or reactions are polarizing on the other side. And you also have great things like campus evangelism movements, Bill Brighton, Campus Crusade, and a lot of our own heritage coming out of that. Um, revivals, people coming to the Lord. As late as 1975, again, to maintain unity, back in some of the campus evangelism days, a lot of uh, campus kids getting into the Holy Spirit and to maintain unity with the churches. Say, Okay, it's not miraculous growth okay, no no miracles today. Holy Spirit doesn't lead Christians separate from the word of God. And again, they probably had very good reason for saying that, but I just date it to say it's still alive and well today. Only working through the word of God. What I'd say is there are miracles today. The Holy Spirit and God is mainly gonna work through natural and not supernatural means. But I can't, I can't, especially Joey Hungerford, cannot contain the Holy Spirit to a formula or a page or a theology in my mind. And I think as soon as you do reduce him to your own mind, then you miss him. He's a mystery. Mm -hmm. At the same time, (laughs) have I said that too much? (laughs) I'll say, (laughs) I gotta keep going across the room too. At the same time. Miracles today, yes, but sort of the word of God is the Holy Spirit here. Primarily, he is going to work through the word of God. If you, uh, if you take a verse and say, uh, I'm just going to kick that one. Nope, not listening that. Disagrees with my feelings, disagrees with my culture. You're rejecting the Holy Spirit. He's going to work through the Word of God. He's going to work through righteous men and women. Think of John the Baptist. It says he was full of the Holy Spirit. He told people what they did not want to hear—some very rough things—and he didn't go around performing miracles. By the way, there's no recorded miracles from him. But he was full of the Holy Spirit, quoting Scripture. It takes spiritual discernment. So I just want to cite First John 4:1 and Colossians 2:8, and there's very good reason for being cautious. Even fearful of the Holy Spirit. Acts 9:31, our theme verse says they had a fear of the Lord and were strengthened by the Holy Spirit. We should be cautious of Him, but we shouldn't let that hold us back from experiencing Him. Let's read these together. Colossians and then 1 John 4. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So there's spiritual forces in this world, evil forces in this world, but they don't have an authentic faith. They're not glorifying Christ. So there's stuff out there that seems spiritual and hey, it is spiritual, but it's not godly spiritual. And you got to be careful of it. 1 yeah. John 4, 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to say, see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Yeah. Again, people is going to, people, the spirit's going to work through people who are glorifying Jesus, who are confirming it with the word of God. Amen, church? And I think of Paul as well. Paul didn't overspend on the spiritual world. He was certainly spirit-led, but Paul, he says, I was caught up to the third heaven, and that's like all he says about it. <laughs> I'm like, you couldn't have written the, <laughs> the biography about your 200-minute near-death experience or whatever that was. <laughs> but he doesn't get into where some of us might get in a superstitious place today. I'm a little stitious, but not superstitious. <laughs> we got an opportunity to renew the spirit in some ways today. To be a little stitious, but not superstitious. In fact, more than an opportunity, I think we have a need. I don't think we have much of an option to not to, really. But we got to open our eyes to it. I have got to include this scripture, but we got to pray to see the spiritual coming in for an end here i just want us to focus on praying to see the spiritual it's going to be a need if we're going to experience more of the holy spirit in our lives and Mm -hmm. second Kings six there's all these horses and chariots surrounding elisha and his servant and elisha's servant uh, he says hey the enemy is here and then elisha prays and he says hey don't worry he prays this open the servant's eyes lord so that he may see Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then he sees there's a whole host, chariots of fire, the Lord's army surrounding this other army that's surrounding them. But the spirit is around us all the time. I think that's a prayer that we need to pray. If we don't pray that prayer, if we miss the spiritual, I think we end up missing God. Just how can we be spirit-led and God-led if we don't have eyes for him? I think we also end up missing each other because we don't see that, again, God gives dignity to others through his spirit. But also, Ephesians 6 says we don't war against flesh and blood. People who might wrong us or people who we might be tempted to hate if we don't realize that there's spiritual forces behind it. Mm -hmm. That there's evil spirits that are our real enemy and not that person. That there's thousands of spirits around us all the time. The spiritual world is porous coming into our world. Angels and demons. And that we need to see those things more than just bringing up an angel around Christmas when a bell rings. I don't know why that came to mind. I was watching a Christmas movie and it came up. (laughs) Mm. Elisha prays. Open his eyes, Lord. Openness to the spirit is somewhat risky. Does so that means being spirit-led means giving up control? It means in this new year doing it spirit's way, not our own way? It means yielding to the word of God and to the spirit working through the word of God. It should make us a bit nervous. Again, our theme verse, in fear of the Lord they were encouraged and strengthened by the holy spirit. But I don't think the church in Acts quenched the Spirit's fire. I think they experienced his power. Mm -hmm. Guys, the Holy Spirit isn't predictable or safe because he smashes the status quo and he might smash some things in your life. And the Holy Spirit isn't predictable or safe because he breaks us out of complacency. He lifts us to new heights and spiritual fullness and blessing if we'll allow it. Now, sometimes for me, as I come into the new year, and I want to bring us to, uh, to this verse here as we focus on communion and just prayer for the spiritual, sometimes for me I get in a hole, or I get depressed or anxious, or even far from God, or out of sync with him in his spirit, though it, he's not far from me. <laughs> when God feels distant, guess you moved. <laughs> I got to realize during those times. But sometimes I get to those places, and it, I realize when I feel those depressions, when I get in a hole, when I put more investment in my own power or my own system or my own intellect or theology or whatever and I start feeling far from God or even more than a feeling, I'm just out of sync with him inwardly and outwardly. There's some disconnect between my spirit and God's spirit. And when we're feeling low and not spirit-led and spirit-filled and not experiencing the joy of the Holy Spirit, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, those are biblical things, the refreshment of the Holy Spirit, there's a disconnect between our spirit and God's spirit. We may need to cleanse, some, cleanse our hearts. We may need to pray. We may need to fast. We may need to get some righteous people in our life. So Spirit can work through them to give us advice. Because, guys, the Holy Spirit will change you deeper and faster than any New Year's resolution or any worldly program Mm -hmm. or worldly system. So let's pray this prayer for our communion today. Psalms 51, 10 through 12 says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Father God, we we do pray for that, Lord, that we can have a renewal. It's the new year, God. We can go with you, that we can have uh, this refreshment that this verse speaks of, but God, we really want the realest part of us to connect with you in a real way. God, we want to have a sense of the spiritual. God, we see, we see this being so commonplace in other areas of the world where, where, God, they're so close to your spirit because they're dependent on you. You're a daily reality for them, God. It's like they know they have that engagement ring. God, we don't want to be trying to keep up with your spirit. We want to realize your spirit. God, I I pray that you open the eyes of our heart. As Elisha said to his servants, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, God, I pray that you can renew our spirits as we embrace your Holy Spirit, God. We can't live this life without your spirit without what you've given us. We take the bread representing your body, the juice representing your blood. We thank you for the spiritual world, God. As we do a spiritual thing, help us have eyes and hearts. And as Alejandro prayed, to discern and be open to it. In Jesus' name, amen.